Okay, it's good. <coughs> um, just to say, uh, Leslie and I um, begin our travels very soon, and uh, this week we will be sending out um, some information on that. But just to give you some pre-warning, um, we would like to do three, organise three trips from Sh City Hope this year, if possible. Um, that's a clue. <clears throat> we would we'd like to go to the Ukraine. Paul Brown will be leading that one. And that will be with Valeri, and that will be very hard work. <laughs> no, that'll be that'll be he, he Valeri just works incredibly hard, but that will be largely evangelistic. Um, it will be with an evangelism team reaching into Ukraine. And then Leslie and I will um, hopefully be leading a small term to, team to Serbia, which will be really easy. <laughs> um, that will predominantly be to encourage the church and hopefully do some follow-up there, um, having a big evangelistic campaign. The church is in Niche in Serbia in April and hopefully will be following up. Ukraine and Serbia will probably both be in June. We're um, waiting for the Ukraine dates to be confirmed. And then I would love to take a small team to Morocco for much more of a cultural exchange and uh, to pray. So the information will be coming out this week about how you can get involved in those. Okay, John Wood. I'd like John Wood is coming. I asked John Wood if he would share a picture that he had um, at last week's service. Um, then hang on to it, and we will come back to it um, at the end of today. Okay, well, it's just a very simple picture that when Andy was speaking, I just felt God dropped this picture into bed. Um, you know when you go to a fairground and you see all these, and you go in those places and there's all the funny mirrors? Well, I, I just... God just so, seemed to drop mirrors into my head, you know, and I saw, uh, I, I, I saw like pic pictures of City Hope as big, fat, funny shapes, funny sized heads with the rest of skinny bit and a fat bit on top, big wide bits. So if you was wide, you didn't want to go to that one. But all different shapes, you know the type of thing. I haven't got a clue what it was about. I still don't know. And I just mentioned it to Dave and said, you can do what you like with that, Dave, you know, but I really felt God give me that picture. Okay. So you're going to remember that. We'll put that down there. <coughs> this week we start a series of three talks on introducing the Bible. Um, this, the, the plan for this is that it will, for new Christians joining City Hope, um, in the sort of months ahead, all of them will go through this short three-week course introducing them to the Bible um, just to help them to manage their ability to read it. And we're looking this week at what is the Bible, next week what is the story of the Bible, and then the third week is how do we read it. Um, that's what we'll be doing. And the, the goal is to inform people about what the Bible is, to inspire us to read it and to initiate reading of the Bible because the Bible is so important to us as Christians. And so many of us have, and particularly people coming in these days, have no idea 
what the Bible is, what the story is, or how on earth you're uh, able to read it. Now, <coughs> I will confess to have really struggled today. To the, the goal of this is to do it in small groups, and I'm going to preach it. Um, so some of it will be very much as we will do it as a small group, and some of it will just be a preach. So I'm going to pray, and uh, hopefully then God will come up and make it good. Father, we do thank you for your love for us. We're so grateful for the grace of God, the favor of God on humanity. We thank you so much for Jesus, all he has accomplished for us on the cross. We do ask you, Holy Spirit, that you will help us to look at your word, understand what it is, be inspired by it, to be informed about it, and to continue reading your word and getting the most out of it. Amen. The Bible is important because it's foundational to Christianity and the church. And I'm just going to quote from a more concise 10-second sermons. You're hopeful, aren't you? <coughs> this is Milton Jones. He's a, a well-known and respected comedian. And he's talking about Christianity, which is based on the Bible. Apart from being involved at the beginning of science, systems of government, philosophy, art, schools, hospitals, the emancipation of women the abolition of slavery, social welfare, helping form the basis of the moral code most people live by, and by introducing popular notions such as justice, mercy, peace, decency, and compassion, I ask, what has Christianity ever done for the world? And that's all come from the foundation of this book. But what is this book? Well, first of all, if you brought your Bibles with you or if you have your telephone with you <coughs> or your um, tablets, don't you think Moses was incredi incredibly contemporary? <laughs> don't you? Those who know their Bible got the joke. He came down the mountain with his tablets. Right. If you go to the contents page, you'll find a list of books. There's 66 of them in there. Some of them are very long books. Some of them are letters. Some of them are poetry and songs. These books were written over 1,600 years by 40 different authors. The Bible's influence is the largest selling book in world history. It has shaped Western culture for 2,000 years, and 2 billion people read it. It's a book that many people over many years have given their lives so that you and I can read it. It's been translated into nearly every language in the world, and it's being translated still. It's a book that I've trust, I trust, and it's got words in it that I've relied on at different times. And it's continuing to shape the world in which we live. Who wrote it? Well, 
a lot of people are quite surprised that Jesus didn't write any of it. People assume, some people do assume, well, Jesus wrote it. Well, no, Jesus actually didn't write any of it. He is quoted in quite a lot of it. He is talked about in an awful lot of it, but he never wrote it. It was written by fishermen, by shepherds, by kings, by prophets, by doctors. It was written by men. It was written by women. It was written by a broad spectrum of humanity. Major writers... Moses is generally credited with writing the first five books of the Bible, although it's unlikely that he wrote about what happened after his death. David, he wrote huge chunks of the Psalms. The prophets Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. Some of it they wrote down, some of it others wrote down the prophecies they were bringing. It's generally agreed that the doctor called Luke wrote Luke's Gospel and the Book of Acts, forming a major part of the New Testament. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote many of the letters of the New Testament. We know that because he put Paul at the beginning of his letters. It was a clue. A lot of them we can't be absolutely certain, but it's pretty certain. There are many different sorts of literature. If you've still got your contents open, you have history, like the Book of Kings, the Book of Chronicles, the Book of Samuel. You have books of the law outlining in, in magnificent scenarios the character of God, books like Leviticus. You have poetry and wisdom, psalms, proverbs, ecclesiastes, and the beautiful love story, which is the Song of Songs or Solomon, depending what it's called in your contents. You have the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Naaman, who brought the word of God to the people of Israel in times of difficulty, in times of uncertainty, in times when they needed encouraging and motivating and provoking into action. You have stories. The book of Acts is a story of the, new of, the, of the new church. The book of Ruth is a story of a widow and how she comes to bear the great-great-grandchild of grandchild who, of David. That's right. You have the book of Esther, a story of how a woman put into a concubine rescues a whole nation as God uses her. Then you have the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the stories of Jesus each one of them taking a different, slightly different aspect of Jesus' life. So Matthew particularly writes um, to the Jews, and he collates um, Jesus' teachings into blocks. He's got five blocks of Jesus' teaching. And people sometimes say, that is so different from Mark, who doesn't do that. 
And they say, so surely they haven't got it right. Well, last week, Andy Martin spoke to us the story, the feeding of the 5,000, right? I first heard that when he preached it in Turkey. I will probably hear it in a few weeks when he preaches it in Pakistan. Just guessing. So if I were to write the story of Andy Martin, do I say, well, he preached in Bermondsey, Turkey, and Pakistan, this sermon? Or do I just talk about him preaching it in Turkey, or here, or Pakistan? By the way, he was a lot better here than he was in Turkey. I think it was the crowd listening just drew it out of him. Mark, he's just in a hurry. The most common word in the book of Mark is immediately. He was immediately this, immediately this, immediately this. So it went from one miracle immediately to the next one. Luke is the only one that says, actually, I've taken the life of Jesus, and I'm going to tell you, how it happened from day one to the time he rose from the dead. And it's going to be in order. And it's going to be chronological. The Apostle John, just a magnificent book. But it takes fundamentally who Jesus was and then explains that through his teaching. And some through some of his prayers and his interaction with people. And he reveals that. But they're written very, very differently. Then you have the letters, Galatians through to Jude. Written to churches, to individuals, by the Apostle Paul, by the Apostle John, by the, by the Apostle Peter. Written sometimes to churches, sometimes to individuals. And then you've got the book of Revelation. And if you can understand that, great. It'll all come good in the end. What you need to know about the, book, about the Bible is it's not written from... Well, it, it sort of starts at the beginning, it ends at the end, but in the middle it's a bit of a muddle. So you can't read it like a novel because it doesn't follow directly through chronologically. If you take the, uh, <coughs> the books of Samuel, Kings and Chronicles, they each tell exactly the same part of history, but they tell it in a very different way. Um, Samuel is, uh, is quite chronological. It's quite sort of focusing on David. Um, kings, just, hey, I'm going to get every king that's ever lived in Israel, and I'm going to tell you what they did. Chronicles is much more, this is how the people of Israel followed God, this is how they failed. And so they're written differently, but they can't um, convey, carry, convey, carry, I'm getting the wrong word there completely. They cover, you'll get there in the end, they cover the same periods of history. So there's many different sorts of literature. It's divided into two parts. The Old Testament, which has 39 books, and that, is, that tells the story of creation, the forming of God's people, and reveals God's purpose in creation something of his character, reveals the great promises of God, 
and is the story before the coming of Jesus. And it tells, gives much of what Jesus is going to do, how he's going to accomplish it. And Jesus flows through the Old Testament, although he is, he's only mentioned in prophecy. And that is the first 39 books. The New Testament is 27 books, and it's the story of Jesus and the early church, the fulfillment of God's promises. And it's about <coughs> how God fulfills his ambitions for humanity from creation to the wrapping up of the world. And we do need to understand that because there are parts of the Bible that talk about thing, you know, angels and spiritual forces and all of that, but they're just mentioned in passing because what God wants to communicate in the Bible is the beginning of humanity and the destiny of humanity. And he keeps largely to just talking about men and women. And he does that because of all of creation, those are who he loves in a way that is unique and special. It's written in three languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. And it comes from some very ancient manuscripts. And I got really confused here. Because if you're... <coughs> If you're thinking of talking to a group of five, five or six people, you can have a good conversation about it, if you're that way inclined. <coughs> but if you're speaking to lots of people, we really don't want to have lots of conversations. So, I've got a few facts down here, which I will leave. I will just say this. Any reasonable person will accept the historicity of the documents on which the Bible is based. Any reasonable person. The reason for that is, how many here have read Caesar's Gaelic Wars? Well done. <laughs> is it good? <laughs> I thought from the title it might be, hey, this bit of blood and decapitation and stuff like that, horses charging. Well, that was written when Jesus was about one and a half, okay? It was written in 1 BC. We have 10 manuscripts of that document, and the earliest comes from a 1,000 years after it was written. So it's like Ina Blyton has been written, it's been read, and then people have copied it and copied it and copied it and copied it until a thousand years later there's a copy of Enobite Lighten, but it's a copy of 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 a copy. Okay? Has anyone read? Looking at you, you're going to save us as a church. <laughs> Aristotle's Poetics. Bits of it. Oh, another one! Hey! I'd never heard of these till I read the book. I'm just so impressed. Aren't we a brainy church? Let's just take credit for how brainy we are. We've read these things. We've read them. This was written 400 BC. We have five manuscripts that are copies, and the earliest comes from 1,400 years after it was written. 
Does that make sense? Okay. The, <coughs> the New Testament. So we've got ten of Caesar's Gaelic Wars. We've got five. We've got ten. And then five of Aristotle's. The New Testament has 20,000 manuscripts. And the earliest we have were copies made 100 years after they were written. We have tons of evidence. And the Old Testament, the oldest full copy of the Old Testament comes from 500 A.D., but we have parts that date back to 280 BC um, and naught AD. I don't know if you had naught AD. Imagine writing that in your letter, naught AD. (coughs) And the thing is, the ones that go back to 280 BC and and the ones that were found a thousand years later two manuscripts there is virtually no difference no difference now I copied 2 Peter 1 20 to 21 when I looked at when I looked up at what I'd written on the page it said 1 Peter 2 20 to 21 I was not involved in the copying of these biblical texts. (laughs) You can thank God for that. A great thing about the Hebrew language is it has no vowels and you spell it like you say it. Now, that's my sort of language. (laughs) And during the early part of the 20th century, there was a lot of discussion about whether we can really rely on, on what we're reading the Bible from. And then some little shepherd boy in 1947, got a bit bored, and his sheep were being all right. They said, well, they're, they're okay looking after there. I think there's a cave there. I'll throw a few stones in there, see what's in there. So he goes, bang, and he goes, ting. He goes, that shouldn't sound like that. They picked up another stone, went, bang, it went, ting. That's a bit odd. So he threw another one, ting. And he went into the cave. And what he found was some urns that had been kept in this cave for up to a thousand years. In those urns were copies of the Old and New Testament. And those copies were exactly the same as what we'd had from elsewhere, except some of these went back even further than we'd seen before. And that is why I say no reasonable person will accept the historicity of the documents. And so lots of people say, you know, but this copy of... Pardon? Did I? No. (laughs) Just for husbands here. Just want you to notice... My wife was listening to me. (laughs) No reasonable person will not accept the historicity of the documents. (laughs) 
They may argue about it, but what they're really arguing about is what they mean. Because that's the offensive bit. And what they will say is, but can you trust that these miracles happen? And ultimately, we've, we've no idea. We've no idea. What we've got is certain very ancient documents that have proved accurate, that claim to be written by people who knew this guy, Jesus. What makes me trust this is that I happen to know Jesus. I've happened to experience what's written down in this book. What makes this real to me is not because it's written on a page, because the reality is very little written on a page is real to me <coughs> or relevant. But what makes this real is I know the author. And when people start arguing about whether you can trust the Bible, don't bother arguing about the Bible. But tell them what you know of the author. Because what we know, about, what we know of the author is what they need to know. <coughs> so we can trust it. In 1205... Stephen Langst Langston, Langton, who was professor and later Archbishop of Canterbury, did something that makes the Bible a lot easier to read for us. He put the chapters in. In 1205, he put the chapters in. Roberts, this is where my copying doesn't look right. <coughs> It says Robert Stephanie. Could have been Stevens. <laughs> Just as I'm sure I copied it right, but it doesn't look right on the page. Anyway, he's not around now. He was born in well, he was around in 1571. And he put the verses in. Up until that point, the Bible didn't have chapters and it didn't have verses. Now that made the Bible easier to read. But it's also an important thing to know because God didn't put the chapters and the verses in. Now, <clears throat> because we're largely Western and largely English, we like to obey the rules. So it's quite interesting. When you come to reading the Bible, one, you have an ambition to get to the end of the chapter. I've said I'm going to read a chapter a day. I'm going to make it somehow. Let's hope it's a short one. <clears throat> but when you get to the end of the chapter, you stop because you think that's the end of the chapter. That's the rules. I've got to stop. It's funny, meeting with so many Eastern people, they say, this is a story. I'm going to read the end of the story. And it doesn't matter whether it goes over the chapter or ends in the middle of a verse. They just don't care. <laughs> Can you believe it? And, it, and sometimes when they're preaching, they'll start at like Isaiah chapter 55, verse 11, and they'll go through to Isaiah 56, verse 3. They've crossed the chapter. You're sort of standing there waiting for lightning from heaven to come down and strike them. 
because we get so worried about the chapter and the verses, but they were put in very late. How was it written? <clears throat> Hebrews 1, chapter 1 and 2, verses 1 and 2, says, Long ago God spoke many times and in many ways to, a, through, to our ancestors through the prophets. The prophets spoke. In those days, <clears throat> people remembered what you said. And uh, rather than get out a notebook and write everything down, they just remembered it, word for word. And they could do it over hundreds of years. Um, and they just passed on words and words and words. And then finally, someone would write them down. Sometimes, like I said, in the prophet Isaiah and Jeremiah, you read Jeremiah. <coughs> um, he, he has a secretary, Jeremiah. He was a posh prophet. Lots of bad things happened to him, but he had a secretary. And he gave this really long prophecy. Um, and uh, the poor old secretary had to write it all down, so he did it like this. And that is the right way for how they would have written in Hebrew, just to let you know. <coughs> and then they took this very long prophecy, and they took it to the king. And the king gets out the scroll and starts doing this to read it. Thinks, I don't like this, and rips it all up and burns it in the fire. So the poor old secretary comes back. Jeremiah says, what did the king do? He said, well, he ripped it up and threw it in the fire. And Jeremiah said, well, let's start again then. <laughs> and off goes the secretary. Rewrite, 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 rewrite. So those bits were written down. But it was God speaking. In 2 Timothy 3.16, it has a unique word of the... Uh, way the Bible was written. I'll just find it. 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. All scripture is God-breathed. And that's the Apostle Paul writing that letter to uh, Timothy who he was sort of mentoring through life. And when he talks about all scripture, he's talking about the Old Testament and the, and the new scripture that was being written at his time by the gospel writers, by the apostles. And they were, they were writing. He says, these words were God-breathed. And in, in a way that we cannot understand and cannot fully comprehend, that the writers of the Bible were able to catch the breath of God and write the very words that God wanted written down. Because God was breathing on those words. In 2 Peter 1, 20-21, it says, But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came to them and uh, enabled them to write the very words that God wanted. We think of Moses writing the first five books of the Bible. Moses wasn't there in the beginning when there was God. But God revealed, breathed on Moses, so he was able to bring the story of creation. The story of ba the Tower of Babel, the story of uh, Noah and the Ark, 
because he was carried along by the Holy Spirit. As I say, Moses <coughs> had his tablets from the mountain and he wrote down the book of Deuteronomy as a way of encouraging the people of Israel. Other writers did the same. How was it written? It was not dictated. God didn't dictate the Bible. Say, so, okay, Moses, ready, pen, these are the words you are to write. It wasn't dictated. It wasn't automatic. Where Moses just said, God, I feel like writing the Bible now. Here's my pen and just lead my hand. No, it was God-breathed. It was the Holy Spirit filling and inspiring them. It was not automatic. In the original languages, it is everything that God wanted was written down. Today, we have translations, and these aren't perfect. They have imperfections. That's why we need to study it. That's why we need to um, compare um, translations. It's why we need people still to go back to the original text because they were perfect. And the number of errors in the copying is, is insignificant, really. It is historically correct. Over the years, there's been many, many um, accusations that the Bible is inaccurate in this, inaccurate in this, inaccurate in this. But over the years, as more and more of history is discovered, the Bible is proved true again and again and again and again in its history. Even sometimes in some of the, very, in some of the history of the Old Testament, people would say, well, that king never existed. Years later, another archaeological dig, and the king appears. They just didn't know about him then, but the Bible did. It's historical. It is what God wanted to communicate to humanity. <clears throat> the Bible says a lot about itself. I'm going to read through these very quickly. Deuteronomy 8.3. Man does not live by bread alone, but by, on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Psalm 12.6. The word of the Lord is full, full, flawless. You can't even read it from there. I should be able to read it. Is it up there? No. <coughs> Matthew 5.18. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Matthew 24.35. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words will never pass away. Revelation 22.19. And if anyone takes away any words of this prophecy, God will take away from him his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. Yes, the Bible does promote itself. But then the author knew what he was talking about. Why is the Bible important to you? <coughs> and I want to come back to the mirrors. Do you remember the mirrors at the beginning? I read a headline in a newspaper this, this week, or maybe in last week, said... New planet discovered in the solar system. Right? 
new planet discovered in the solar system. So I thought that was interesting, so I read a little bit. And actually, they haven't discovered a new planet. Some astrophysicists or something or other have decided that because of all the gravitational pulls, it would be helpful to have another planet. And therefore, far away on the outskirts of our solar system, so far that we can't see it yet, there must be a planet. But it's like the headline was, new planet discovered. There is no physical evidence for it. But when Leslie's mum reads that headline, she'll believe it. Chris Nick came in here over coffee. He comes out with all sorts of fascinating facts, <laughs> stories, wisecracks, and very funny comments. Over coffee, he, he says, you know, they've just discovered the biggest dinosaur they have ever discovered. So we all jumped up and down, thought, yeah, great, another dinosaur, this is what we want. He said, and do you know their heart was the size of six men? So I, I said to him, I said, how do you know that? Because it's written in the newspaper. They may be right, but they're, they haven't got the heart, the size of six men. They're just guessing. If it was this big, its heart needed to be this big. They're guessing. And we are fed this all the time, and it seems to me increasingly. And we are being shown mirrors that make us very odd shapes. The world looks at you and me as people. It looks at the color of our skin. It looks at our education. It looks at whether we're good-looking or not. Now, interestingly enough, I've never, ever spoken to a bloke that isn't good-looking. <laughs> Even though they don't look like me. <laughs> and the world, when you look, at, look in the mirror of the world, it's just a misshape of you. You look fat, thin, big-headed. You don't look right. When you look in the mirror of yourself, you see all sorts of things. Well, I don't like my legs. I, I don't feel like I'm clever enough. Do you know, I led a prayer meeting this week of about 40 London leaders, <coughs> and I couldn't work out. I was really nervous about it, and so much so I didn't actually sleep the night before. It's unusual for me. I didn't sleep well. <clears throat> and I couldn't work it out what was bother bothering me about it. And uh, around about 3 o'clock in the morning, I realized what was bothering me about it. And what was bothering me was this, because I didn't have a clue what I was going to do. It wasn't that, because I knew I could lead the prayer meeting. What was bothering me was that I knew most people in the room wouldn't lead it like I was going to. And that mirror, as I stood before it, said, I'm the wrong shape here. I'm the wrong shape. And I didn't have the confidence to say, actually, this is how I would lead it. I was looking, 
How would he have led it? How would he have led it? How would he have led it? And I didn't fit that mirror. And then we have the devil. And there's a mirror in front of us and he, he just doesn't want us to look good. He will point out everything that is bad about us. Why is the Bible important to you? Because that is the only correct, decent, proper mirror in the whole world. It will tell you exactly what God is like, but it will tell you what you are like. It will tell you that you are a chosen person in humanity. It will tell you that there is a Father in heaven who loves humanity and is longing to care for it. It will tell you that at one time you stepped out of his love and care and affection, but he, through Jesus Christ, has, is willing to bring you back in, cleanse you and wash you and clean you up and give you um, everything that you need so that you can know God again. It will tell you that you are loved, forgiven, clean, pure, holy and have a hope in heaven. It will tell you that you have been made uniquely and that you are gifted uniquely and you should be you and nobody else. It will show up all your faults and it will show you the blood of Jesus that can wash them away, purify them and clean them. It will show you that you have a place in heaven where you can know perfection. The world, the, yourself, and the devil is putting a mirror in front of you and it is making you misshapen. It is making me misshapen. But when we stand in front of the mirror of the Bible, it says, you are dearly loved. I care for you. I am here for you. And I long to draw you into more of my kingdom. Let's stand. <clears throat> Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for what it brings to us. We thank you we can trust it. We can thank you that it is so full of you. We ask you, help us to read it, understand it, and apply it for your glory. Amen. Amen. If you could go and pick up your children and just say, Dave spoke too long. <laughs>